it's the next level. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying? You know, violently. I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. movie contains material that may not be suitable for all viewers. Your discretion is advised. Knock, knock. Who's there? Don't answer that question. Why not? Because then you'd just be talking to yourself. What the fuck do you think I do every week anyways? All right, whatever. Enough of that. Guess who's back from vacation? A vacation that was a little bit longer than I thought, but oh well, whatever. Shit happens. Actually, I know. I would. The show was supposed to be back like two weeks ago. And then I just... I don't know. It wasn't like, like, you know... I wasn't feeling down or anything. I just wasn't feeling it. You know what I mean? Like, you gotta have that passion, that drive. And that was lacking severely. So... I decided keep taking break till I'm ready to talk, which is now coming to you from the land of the dead at Studio Zero and the Next Level Network of Podcasts. It's your ghost host with the most, Postmortem Paul, which I kind of realize ghost host kind of does work because like... (laughs) I'm an empty shell, man. My ghost, it's gone. It's disappeared. No, fuck it. Whatever. Anyways, welcome back to What What Lurks Behind Behind Podcast Podcast Zero. Zero. I already told you I'm your host, Postmortem Paul. Yeah, so it's been a bit, hasn't it? All right, well, whatever. Um, So, okay, let... I'm going to explain something just quickly, and then we'll get into the meat of the show. So, while I took my little hiatus, I've been, like, watching YouTube videos and listening to other podcasts, and I don't know, like, kind of realized that, like, in certain cases, like, you know, when reviewers are doing shows by themselves, which it happens, there's many of them that do, like, there's many hosts that do the shows by themselves and whatnot but i realized that their shows are way more condensed they don't go an hour and a half long some of them go as like as as short as 15 minutes you know i I don't want to do 15 minute episodes but i kind of realized that i want to compact these things i want to condense them down so while i was away i kind of had this epiphany to tighten the shows up a bit not blather on so much so you will notice that 
with this ep- starting with this episode and going forward, the shows are going to be a bit more shorter. Uh, just simply because I don't want to bore my listeners to death. Like, I mean, I haven't had any complaints about the show, which is awesome. But at the same time, even myself, like I know, like I always go back and listen to my episodes, make sure they're recorded well and stuff like that. And even like myself, there's times I'm listening to it and it's like, all right, shut the fuck up. Like, I talk too much. So going forward, the shows are going to be a little bit more condensed. There's not going to be as much... Uh, filler, let's say. You know what I mean? On that note, this is the 61st episode. It's the episode I promised two weeks ago that didn't happen. My apologies. Uh, but anyways, yes. This week, episode 61, we're, uh, we're time traveling back to the year of 2000. Well, 2001-ish. But, I mean, originally the film had its premiere in 2000. We're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go hang out with the uh, Fitzgerald sisters for a bit. Um, you know, Emily Perkins and my wife that doesn't know she's my wife yet, but Catherine Isabel. Um, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, you're a loser, Paul. But no. Um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that 2000 uh, Canadian classic werewolf film, Ginger Snaps. Just quickly, though, before we get into that, there is one thing I... I well, there's about two things I want to say. First off, Vinegar Syndrome, I fucking love you guys. So, you know, it's Black Friday just happened and all this other shit, right? And I'm usually, like, anti-Black Friday because it's, like, commerce and, you know, corporation and all that shit. It's like, fuck you, and I love sticking a little finger to fucking Black Fridays. But anyways, they announced something that I could not resist yeah i ordered one too even though like i'm like i said i'm mr anti-black friday but anyways you guys know i love this really well i don't want to say it's a bad movie because just because people say it's a bad movie doesn't mean it actually is spookies is finally getting an official blu-ray fucking release and i already ordered mine yep and that is so fucking awesome like 4k like remastered from the original 35 millimeter film i do have a dvd version of it i don't know if french canadian but the movie's english so whatever it works and well i want to replace my old vhs like i don't have it anymore on vhs and i want to replace it but god damn it try finding like a copy that doesn't cost an arm and a leg and a testicle holy shit like I know I don't use my testicles very much lately except for when they're getting kicked but it's like I'd like to keep them just in case and Spooky's VHS fuck people like charging anyway yeah it's expensive um eventually hopefully I'll find a copy I mean like what the fuck went thrift shopping this morning I haven't seen this movie in over 20 years and I found a VHS copy of it Die Die My Darling from 1965 what the fuck like I got it for a buck and I have not seen this movie in so long like it, it's almost gonna be like watching a brand new movie all over again I'm so excited and like the VHS is in like amazing condition too like even the box art like there's hardly any like tear and wear on it or anything oh it's just fucking awesome so i'm really happy about that uh while i was away over my month-long hiatus uh 
started watching The Mandalorian on the Disney Plus uh, streaming app. Yes, I got it. I got the Disney Plus streaming app. Whatever. Um, I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of good shit on there. I mean, and, like, I'm a Star Wars fan. I, I have no shame in saying this. I love Star Wars. They have the full Clones War series on there. So I've been, you know, going back and watching that because I didn't see most of season four five and six and they're all there so it's been nice because now i can go back and i can watch them and see all the episodes i missed and whatnot star wars rebels is on there which if you know me you know that's like one of my favorite animated series especially within the star wars universe but overall like i absolutely love the shit out of that so it's on there um all the Star Wars movies, including the ones that everybody hates. <laughs> the only thing missing is the holiday uh, special, which I honestly don't see that happening. I don't see them bringing that back, but hey, stranger things have happened, right? Um, I also started playing that Jedi Fallen Order game. Really cool, amazing visuals. It's the Star Wars game we've all been waiting for, but I suck at video gaming, so... I kind of took a break from it because I was getting very frustrated with the game. And I'm seeing all these people online, like social media and Twitch and whatnot, saying, Oh, I already beat it. And this and that. I'm like, Fuck you all. I'm on mission number two. Um, <laughs> I've never been a good gamer. Whatever. But it is what it is. Anyway, yeah, so the way these episodes are going to be now, uh, the opening will still be there. I'll still do, like, maybe, like, you know, a current topic or have a quick rant or something like that but i want to condense it down none of these like 17 20 minute long you know intros and whatnot and when i do the reviews the reviews i mean because most of the time i'm talking about movies you guys know and i'm talking about actors that you guys know so you're gonna notice like there'll be a few little changes to the reviews now like when i'm going through the starring cast for example I'm not going to spit off half their resume. You guys know what movies they're from. Um, and, like, some... Uh, my reviews are going to be a lot more condensed. I'm going to get to the main points I want to talk about and just move on. So, hopefully you guys will enjoy the shows now the way they are. Um, like I said, I never had complaints before, but myself, personally, I want to make these shows a little bit shorter, a little bit quicker for you guys, so... Well, on that note, uh, might as well uh, do a trailer drop, and when we come back, uh, a shared podcast experience. I love saying that. It just sounds so professional, because I am such a professional. Yeah, great. Uh, but anyways, trailer drop, and then when we return, our shared podcast experience will be me reviewing Ginger Snaps from 2000. Back in a moment, kids. For two sisters. Together forever. United against life as we know it. With an appetite for the macabre. I'm slitting my throat. You should definitely hang. All it takes is one night. And one bite. Let's get out of here. Dog, maybe. Did I change last night? How with the moon? Ginger's changing. How do you feel? 
wicked. They're just being normal teenage girls. She's gone. Ginger snaps and bites. And we're almost not even related anymore. Out by 16 or dead in the scene, but together forever. Aww. No, actually, I don't think you guys want to be together forever with me because I'm kind of like... Remember Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, when there was like those earworm things that like burrowed into uh, who was it? it was Chekhov I forget who the other one was but I don't know you remember that scene though right it was like scene made everyone cringe it's like oh fucking and then of course there's like those bugs earwigs and now like everyone like you know is always referring to Star Trek 2 because of that and whatever I don't even know what I'm talking about so I said I was going to condense these episodes down and here I am babbling about shit so Ginger Snaps Ah, great Canadian film. So, gotta admit, Canadian horror is always so satisfying. Not always, I shouldn't say always, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, that original Black Christmas, right? I mean, everyone loves that fucking movie. So much as is we are releasing a shit remake this year that's not even a remake. I don't even know why you're calling it Black Christmas. But anyways, Ginger Snaps. I'm gonna stay on topic. Ginger Snaps was first released. Okay, it's got like multiple release dates, but anyways, it was first released August first, two thousand, in Germany. It was at a film festival in Germany. In Canada, we saw the premiere September tenth, two thousand. Uh, that was at the Toronto Film Festival. The U.S. didn't see the movie until two thousand one, uh, April twenty first, at the L.A. Film Festival. And then eventually Ginger Snaps got a, like, I guess you'd say like a wide theatrical release. <laughs> really wasn't that wide, but it was wide enough. Uh, it was released in Canadian cinemas uh, May 2001. And it grossed uh, almost $426,000 domestically. And Canadian funds, right? So in other words, five bucks US. Uh, but <laughs> uh, made it the fifth highest grossing Canadian film between December 2000 and November 2001. So it's pretty cool. Um, as for the U.S., I know that in 2001 they also had a D. Was it 2001 or 2002 had the DVD premiere, uh, same as in Canada. I actually have the uh, 2002 DVD release. It's kind of cool, uh, and I also have it on VHS. But anyways. Um, I don't have the Blu-ray yet. I'm working on that. But uh, moving on, directed by... The film Ginger Snaps was directed by John Fawcett. Now, he didn't direct the sequels, but he did produce them. So he basically was involved with all three. But this is the only one he directed. Uh, The story of Ginger Snaps was written also by John Fawcett and Karen Walton who Karen Walton also then wrote the screenplay. So basically written by Karen Walton, directed by John Fawcett. Uh, This film, this one was produced by Stephen Hoban and Karen Lee Hall. 
The special effects, I have to give note to a few names in here. Um, special effects, makeup, creature designs. Uh, Gary J. Tunicliffe, uh, Rudy Rivas, and then Paul Jones was the one who actually created the werewolves and all their effects and whatnot. And um, he did a very good job with it. I'm, I'm going to say that now. Cinematography was by Tom Best. And the editing was by Brett Sullivan. Now, Brett Sullivan also was the director for Ginger Snaps 2, Unleashed. And A Christmas Horror Story, which hold that thought because there's a reason why I mention A Christmas Horror Story. But, moving on though, the music, the music you're hearing in the background of course, uh, was done by Michael Shields. I do have something to talk about with the music uh, a little bit further on, so keep that in mind as well. Moving on to our starring cast. Our starring cast. Now, obviously, Emily Perkins. Now, Emily Perkins, I do want to make note of one performance she had. She was the original uh, Beverly from the 1990 Stephen King's It. Um, Probably one of the uh, better actors to come from the original miniseries as opposed to the uh, remake that came out in 2018. Although, oh Jesus, why well, can't I remember her name? The girl that was in the remake was just as good, but Emily Perkins is still kind of like the original Beverly, and she's awesome and whatnot. Um, also, Catherine Isabel, my wife that doesn't know she's my wife. But <laughs> I gotta stop saying that. It sounds stalkerish and creepy. Um, anyways, uh, Catherine Isabel, I mean, obviously she's a famous scream queen. We, you know, um, See No Evil uh, 2 she was in, American Mary, obviously all three Ginger Snaps films. Um, she was in the movie Snow Day. I don't know, crickets, right? But no. I mentioned that only because I picked up the VHS this morning for that. I was like, I know, it's a fucking bad movie, okay? Don't, don't hurt me here. Like, you know, I get it. Snow Day is a shitty Nickelodeon film, but for some reason I like the damn thing. I don't know why. Maybe because I like shitty movies, but anyways. <laughs> so, Catherine Isabel obviously played Ginger. Emily Perkins plays Bridget, uh, the Fitzgerald sisters. Uh, then there's Chris Lemke. He plays Sam. He's the drug dealer in the film. Um, he's definitely... He's channeling some, like, Christian Slater shit here because he's definitely got that going. And I saw, like, a lot of people say that, too. So that's kind of cool. Um... Jesse Moss is in this. He played... Oh, fuck. See, I told you, I'm condensing this shit down so I didn't write as much down, and now I can't remember what his fucking name is in the fucking movie. Yeesh. Um. But yeah, he's the uh, boyfriend that uh, Ginger's interested in. Or, well, she's not interested in. He's interested in her, and then, you know, whatever. Um... Mimi Rogers, she plays Pamela Fitzgerald. She's awesome. Daniel Hampton plays Trina. Uh, then you also have John Bourgeois, uh, Peter Gelligan, and Christopher Redman just to round out the, um, the cast. Although I do want to add there is a special off-screen appearance from Lucy Lawless, of all fucking people. Um, she is the voice you hear on the PA system in the school when they are calling Bridget to the guidance counselor's office. That is Lucy Lawless. So that's pretty kind of cool. The synopsis for the film. The synopsis goes like this. 
Bridget Fitzgerald and her sister Ginger are best friends and teenage outcasts. They loathe their mind-numbing suburban existence and for amusement share an obsession with dying. One night in the woods on the edge of the suburb, while they are pulling an evil prank on an obnoxious classmate, Ginger is savagely attacked by a wild creature. Ginger survives and her vicious wounds miraculously heal over but something is quite different. Ginger is wildly irritable and is in denial. Bridget is convinced that the insatiable cravings her sister is experiencing can mean only one thing, something unspeakably evil and monstrous. So in other words, you have two sisters, best friends, Total Outcasts, which, I mean, so many people that have watched this film obviously relate to this. You know what I mean? Like, especially in the horror community, that is one thing that you will notice time and time again. Most of most horror fans are outcasts. We're misfits. We're weirdos. We're, we're the ones that everyone's afraid of, and yet most of us are pretty fucking harmless. Uh, so, but you got these two sisters, and, you know, they're obsessed with death. They're, they've got the whole... Uh, and I mean, very much like they have the, the aesthetic of like, you know, that like gothic look and whatnot. And they're the the darker, the grimmer it appeals to them more. You know what I mean? And I again, being one myself, like I totally relate to this. And anyways, being outcast, they decide they're going to play a prank on Trina Sinclair because Trina is a bitch. And while they're plotting and they're out, it says out in the woods, but it's more like a park area, actually. But whatever. Ginger is attacked. She's attacked by a lycanthrope. And this is her, you know, transformation into becoming a werewolf herself. So I'm going to do my notes from Bailey Downs. I don't know, notes from the underground, but today it's notes from Bailey Downs. And I mentioned Bailey Downs because here's the thing about this. Now, I mentioned Brett Sullivan, and I mentioned that he directed A Christmas Horror Story. He also uh, had his hand in Orphan Black as well. And it's funny because the Ginger Snaps, well, at least the first one, A Christmas Horror Story and Orphan Black all take place in Bailey Downs. So, and it's a fictional Canadian city. Um, it's kind of cool when you're watching a film and you look at the cars and whatnot, like the transportation. They have Ontario license plates, which is, you know, it was filmed in, uh, like, in Ontario. But it just, you know, it's nice that they, they stuck with the whole Canadian thing. Like, they didn't say, like, oh, here, we're going to film this in Canada, but it takes place in, quote, unquote, Los Angeles. No, I like the... It's a Canadian film that takes place in a fictional Canadian town. So it's awesome. Um, I do like the slogan, out by 16 or dead in the scene, but together forever. It's it's cool. It's quirky. I mean, it, because Bridget and Ginger have this whole pact, right? Like, they're they're basically, they're going to live together. They're going to die together kind of thing. And that, that sisterly bond and whatnot. And, you know, I, I like that. Um the thing with this movie, and this is something that I, I find very intriguing about the film, is what is the real horror? Because you have kind of two parallel stories going at the same time with this film. You have, one, the idea of Ginger becoming a lycanthrope, 
Or you also have this um, metaphor that seems like it's going on throughout the film about adolescent life. And it's interesting how it approaches both ideas because at the same time as it's telling this story, it's using the idea of growing into a werewolf as a metaphor of an adolescent life. So it's kind of cool. Like, And I mean... Much like Wolf Moon, okay, I, I I reference Wolf Moon by typo negative here, but I mean, this has been done before, but the idea of a woman's menstrual cycle of 28 days being linked to the myth of like lycanthropy is a cool story to work around. And I mean, yes, I, as I mentioned, it's not the first time it had been ever done or noted or anything like that, obviously, but it does fit good with this story. Especially when you have two teenage girls who have not experienced a menstrual cycle yet. And as this creature attacks Ginger at the same time, Ginger is now evolving, I guess you would say, from being a child to a woman. Uh, Bridget hasn't hit that peak yet. Um, and it does it does mention uh, what Ginger is like. I'm assuming like nine months to 10 months older than Bridget. She says something about she's just turning 16 and Bridget is 15. So they're close in age. So you can understand the closeness of, you know, the two of them with that bond and whatnot, because they're basically the same age. Um, But like, you know, just the whole idea of the menstrual cycle and the idea of, puberty and whatnot and from a female point of view in this one i mean it makes up for a good portion of the backstory for the 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 fitzgerald sisters or is the fitz what what did they call it um the fitz sisters i think they call them in the movie and whatnot like the different guys that are like making reference to them and whatnot but whatever um in terms of actors so the acting quality of the film and I have noticed, and even I, I did a rewatch last night watching this, and I've noticed, especially with a lot of horror films, I'd say 1990s on, a lot of horror films always seem like they start off with wonky dialogue. And this film is no different. Like, the dialogue seems kind of eh. But as the film goes on, it progressively gets a lot better. Um but this is something that I've noticed with a lot of films. It's not just, I don't want to say it's just ginger snaps or, you know what I mean? Like, like even, I mean, unless you're scream, like a lot of opening scenes just seem kind of either forced or they seem like the, the dialogue doesn't seem, um, as fluid or as real. Um, but with this film, I mean, honestly, as the film goes on, these girls, especially Catherine Isabel and Emily Perkins, they seem very natural. Um, and they're great in this. The interesting little bit of trivia with the with the two girls is along with the, um, the, the whole idea, like the coincidence of them both being like the two lead females in this film. Both actresses were also born in the same hospital, attended the same preschool. Uh, same elementary school, same private school, and they both worked through the same talent agency. Weird. Uh, what's even weirder is, is in this film, well, I shouldn't say weirder, but kind of unique to the film, is that Emily Perkins was actually the older of the two of them when this was filmed. 
I believe she was like, I want to say she was 22 and Catherine Isabel was like 18 when they filmed this movie. Um, yet in the film, Ginger is supposed to be the older of the sisters. So it's kind of cool little trivia things like that that, you know, just thought I'd add to this review. Uh, I will say, though, for me personally, uh, my highlight is Mimi Rogers as Pamela Fitzgerald. She's fucking awesome in this movie. And there are some critics, and I was reading reviews last night, and there are some critics that have felt her performance was like way too over the top. And here's my thing with this film. This film is very tongue-in-cheek. It's very satirical. And her performance for me has like that satire feel to it where it's like, even though she's playing on it a little too much, like some of her facial expressions are just priceless. They're fucking awesome. I feel she's playing it perfectly because this film has that that sense of humor to it. And it's like, if she was too serious, it would take away from that humor aspect that Ginger Snaps brings. So... As much as there's, like I said, like I read critics that were like, well, she was too over the top and she didn't seem like real as the the mother figure. And I'm like, yeah, but look at the film you're talking about. Like, I think it fits beautifully. Um, other standouts, obviously, like uh, Jesse Moss and Chris Lemke are both really good in this. Um, Jesse definitely plays like the perfect jock, that that stereotypical jerk in high school. Like, you know, because you always knew that one jock that was like the big dickhead, right? But, I mean, everybody loved him, even though he was such an asshole. And then you've got Chris, who, like I said earlier, you know, he's definitely channeling some like old school Christian Slater, which, quick side note. Uh, for those of you not watching Mr. Robot, Please start doing it. This season four, which is their final season, has been fucking mind-blowing. The last three episodes alone have been fucking perfect. As a matter of fact, I believe it's episode six or episode seven. Whichever whichever one was the one where we finally found out what Mr. Robot was to Elliot. It has a perfect 10 out of 10 on IMDb right now. And the score has not dropped like okay you'll see like sometimes like tv episodes they'll start off and it'll be like 9.8 9.9 and then you go back a couple weeks later and you look at that episode and it kind of peters out a little bit and all of a sudden it's like 8.7 or 9.1 or something this is staying at 10 the episode was that fucking great i sat there for five minutes after the episode was done going what the fuck did i just watch Picture fucking perfect. If you're not watching Mr. Robot, please do so. Moving back to Ginger Snaps now. And we're going to go on to the visuals of the film. The visuals, the, this movie is a low-budget flick. It's a low-budget Canadian flick. What's really cool is that even though the the movie has a low-budget look to it, it's very homegrown it has a homegrown feel to it and it has like this this cool aesthetic to it and the thing is is that most of the filming for the movie was done at night including the daytime scenes were filmed at night so they had to use like these huge like cannon fucking lights like just to like light up the whole scenery make it look like it was daytime What's really cool about that is because of the lights and because of the way it was filmed it kind of gives off this like almost this like orangish kind of hue to the film 
Um, which, I mean, you, you got to keep in mind, this movie takes place in the fall. It takes place in, in October and Halloween. So to have that like orange kind of hue to the, to the, like to the screen really works well. And I know I was reading somewhere that at one point they show that ginger circles, um, October, I think it's October 31st or October 30th. And it, fell on like a Tuesday or something like that. And somebody actually did the research and they found out that the only time that happened or at least up to 2000 um, was in the year 1993. So they, the person was saying they feel that this movie took place in 1993, which could very likely be true. Um, Either that, or it was just kind of one of those things where, you know, they were just, they made a calendar or they grabbed an old calendar and she circles it and whatnot. And nobody was really paying attention to the year because I'll be honest with you. The story in this is kind of timeless. It doesn't matter what year it took place. These are things that are very real puberty and, you know, the, 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 the growing up, the, the evolution from child to adult or, you know, from girl to woman, uh, boy to man kind of thing. These are stories that are very timeless. It doesn't matter what year it took place in or whatnot. So, I mean, it's kind of cool somebody actually went out and, you know, looked into that and whatnot. But, uh, again, it, it could have taken place any year, and I would have been fine with it. Um, so, quickly, also, in terms of visuals, let's talk about the creature or, you know, the ginger wolf, um, as it's uh, referred to. Well, there's two werewolves in this, actually. There's the one that attacks ginger. And as a dog lover, the fact that, like, this, the, the werewolf keeps killing dogs, very hard on my soul. <laughs> Made me cry at times. No, um, but, like, that, that opening shot where you see, like, the little boys playing in the sandbox and his mother is looking at him and then all of a sudden he pulls out, like, a paw out of his sandbox and you see like the dead dog just mutilated. I'm not going to lie. It breaks my heart. It's like, Oh, I mean, granted I get it. It's not a real dog, but, or the scene when uh ginger kind of, you know, gives the, the Rottweiler a little bit of a boot there. I mean, we know damn well she didn't actually kick the dog, but I'm like, Oh, you bitch don't kick dogs. But <laughs> anyways, getting back to the creature and the ginger wolf and whatnot, uh, looks quite decent i'm not gonna lie it's a bit rubbery it has like a plastic look to it but for this film that's kind of a cool look for the lycanthrope um and it's different because so many times you see hairy werewolves you know and uh, i mean american werewolf in london is a great fucking movie and that transformation scene is easily one of the best of all time um even the transformation scene in uh, Michael Jackson's thriller is fucking cool when Michael Jackson's turning into the werewolf and whatnot. But I mean, they've always been hairy, you know what I mean? So this was kind of cool. Um, and director John Fawcett, he wanted only practical effects for the movie, no CGI. And we horror fans, we love him for it. However, I'm pretty sure Catherine Isabel might not have been such a fan. When you hear about the struggles that she went through just to become the werewolf, I mean, uh, there was uh, rumors I read on the internet that she spent anywhere from three to seven hours in a makeup chair while they were applying her metamorphosis to, you know, her face and her body and whatnot. 
And then it would take up to two hours after shooting for removal. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, it, I couldn't imagine sitting in a chair that long, like, you know, and day after day, not to mention. And then, you know, she's got like the sticky fake blood on her that like they were saying, like, I, I was reading up like they had to use like borax and like, you know, household detergents to remove that shit off. And not to mention she was wearing contacts that hindered her vision. She had the teeth and, you know, with the teeth in there, like she, she would speak like, you know, with a lisp. Uh, so, I mean, there's all that. I, I guess uh, from what I was reading, the, the most aggravating thing for her, though, was the facial prosthetic. Um, <laughs> apparently, it gave her a runny nose that, like, just never went away. And she had to keep, like, cleaning up with Q-tips and whatnot. So, I mean, for Catherine Isabel, she probably wasn't too fucking happy about, you know, all practical effects and whatnot. But... I mean, it looks good on the screen and, you know, there's a lot of fans that I've, how many times have you heard me say it in the show, you know, give me practical effects and I'm fucking happy as a pig in shit. So I don't know. It, yeah, maybe she wasn't too happy with it, but we love it. Uh, the music. So quickly talking about the music here, the music of Michael Shields, uh, very wonderful, very haunting, very gothic, um, very melodramatic, sadly never released in any physical form. Uh, not vinyl, not cassette, not CD, not even fucking eight track, like nothing. Um, at one point, like years ago, and luckily I was able to uh, hunt this down myself. Uh, the song, like the the main Ginger Snaps theme, was offered for free on his like he had a personal site back in the day that he offered it through uh there was two versions of the song there's the movie version which clocks in at like two minutes and 30 seconds long or something like that and then the ed end credit music which is variably different because there's like an added um there's like an added middle piece to the music um Anyways, it runs at about three minutes long. You heard some of it earlier in in the episode when I started the review and whatnot. Um, both were both were released through his website. The movie version also had like a lot of the sound effects that were used during its usage in the film. Where the three minute version, it's just the music. There's no sound effects and whatnot. But I mean, sadly, this has never been released. Um, and the rest of the score that was in the film exists strictly through the film. Like you can hear it when you're watching the movie, but there's nowhere you're going to find this online. Maybe one day, I don't know, terror vision or maybe waxwork records or someone will pick up the rights and, you know, put it out into the ether of the world. But as it stands right now, if you can find the main theme, that's great. It's on YouTube, too. Like, I mean, like, there, there's quite a few versions of it on YouTube, like the main theme and whatnot. So, I mean, it's not that we can't listen to it, but that full score, it would really be nice to have and never got released. I mean, there's a soundtrack. There is a soundtrack for Ginger Snaps. Uh, it was 14 tracks by various artists, though, uh, from Roadrunner Records. Uh, some of the artists on it were like junkie xl fear factory shadows fall uh kill switch engage cradle of filth and machine head the cradle of filth i never understood because it's never used in the film but i guess it's like the whole idea of like you know 
Roadrunner would do that. Like they did it with uh, the first Resident Evil film, and I think even the second one, where they released soundtracks for them, and only a few of the tracks on the albums were actually in the film. The rest were just songs inspired by, or you know, Roadrunner liked to kind of put out these um, promotional albums, right? Promote the bands they had on their label. So it is what it is. Uh, in terms of releases, uh, I've already I already said it. I have the VHS and the DVD release of the film. Scream Factory also released a collector's edition Blu-ray. It was a Blu-ray DVD uh, combo pack, whatever. Uh, they released that in 2014. There is also apparently a documentary on there. Again, I don't have the Blu-ray yet. <laughs> it's coming. Don't worry. But um, so I haven't seen this uh, documentary yet, but. Apparently, it's pretty cool. I guess there's a lot of cool shit on it and whatnot. Um, just about to wrap this thing up, so let's see here. Uh, critically, critically, most have felt this is a fun, clever, and a strong uh, teenage coming-of-age kind of film. Um, interestingly enough, strong female cast, but we didn't need to promote that back in 2000. Uh, these films today, they're like, we have a strong female lead. We have a strong female cast. You know what? You don't have to fucking tell us. We'll see it when we see the fucking movie. Like ginger snaps. Okay. We knew it was about two sisters, but, and we knew it was about werewolves. That's all we needed to fucking know. We went into it and we walked out going, that was a pretty good movie, but we didn't need it. Like slam down our throats that we got a strong female cast. Like, you don't have to promote that shit. Just let us go into the films watching it. Like, I don't know. Anyways, the the thing about Ginger Snaps is as well as it's a, a good coming of age, like a teenage kind of film, teen horror, whatnot, it is a horror film and a well-done film at that. Um, critics, uh, you know, they a lot of their praise is on the quality of the acting by both uh, Isabel and Perkins. Which, absolutely, absolutely. Like I said, like the beginning, yeah, the dialogue feels a little weird and wonky. But I'll tell you, but you get like even five, ten minutes into the film and everything feels just fucking natural. It is so well done by the two girls. Uh, and like I said, I also am a huge fan of Mimi Rogers in this film. Uh, a lot of people have praised the uh, the metamorphosis of Ginger into the lycanthrope, uh, calling it very reminiscent of Cronenberg they're not wrong um the idea of uh lycanthropy as a metaphor for puberty and obviously the dark humor there's a lot of dark humor dark humor in this film and a lot of critics that enjoyed the film definitely praise that aspect of it rotten tomatoes yeah i i find <laughs> lately i'm actually very agreeing with rotten tomatoes lately as as much as i can't stand the website but they have the movie at an 87 percent approval rating over 57 reviews that's pretty fucking cool uh metacritic uh the metacritic standing on this right now has it at 70 percent out of 100 on imdb is the lowest of the three at a 6.8 out of 10 but that's still not too fucking bad in terms of the podcast zero rating, uh, I see this two ways. I'm doing this. Uh, I, I am of two minds when I give you my rating. Critically, if I give you my critical opinion, the film is a solid 7 to 7.5 out of 10. 
there is definitely some there's mistakes with this film there are some there's some things that kind of stand out like here's the thing i'm always laughing how when people discover um an eaten up dog how did you not notice it before like especially the scene when uh trina pushes uh bridget into the rottweiler that's been like devoured and it's like you were playing lacrosse you were out on the field how did you not see this big hunking like black dog with its fucking intestines ripped out until you push someone into the dog. Like, I don't understand that that dog would have been there for a while and probably would have been stinking by that point because, you know, the rot would just be like the rot of the Rottweiler would have been like, you know, emanating out into the air and whatnot. Like, how do you not notice that? Do you know what I'm saying? Um, when, uh, Norman, the, 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 do- the little dog that belonged to the, the, the hockey player kid there. When Norm- when Norman has discovered, how did no one see it before? And even like the woman at the very beginning with her little son. And how did you not know that around the corner where the doghouse was, that your dog is devoured? How do you people not notice this shit? This is something that kind of, it's very glaring in the film because you're like, you're trying to tell me like, you went out and you started raking leaves and your kid was playing in the sandbox and you never thought to check on Wolfie and see like, you know, or actually what was the, what was the name of that dog? Was it, was it Baxter? I think, I I think that's what the name of the dog was. The the first dog anyways, that gets like mutilated. But again, it's one of those things or the conversations that Bridget and Ginger have, about Ginger's uh, metamorphosis. Like, for example, when they're in the bathroom and Bridget bursts into the stall and Ginger is showing that she's got the hair growing on her chest. And it's like, they're talking out like really loud in a public washroom with no fear of somebody maybe walking in and hearing them talk about it. Like, and that's the thing too. Like, cause there's even at one point when Bridget is talking to Sam And she says, well, I didn't want anyone to hear us talking. But you've been talking to Ginger about this shit just openly with the possibility of anyone walking in. Like, there's little flubs like that in the film. So critically, the film for me is about a 7 to a 7.5 out of 10. It's a very solid film, but there's a lot of things where I'm like, yeah, it's low budget. (laughs) Now, as a fan, if I am to rate this as a fan, I give it a fucking 9. It is a film that I return to very often. Um, The two girls are absolutely adorably odd and perfect as outcasts, Um, especially uh, Emily and her wig. Uh, Because, yes, it's been confirmed. She's, you know, Emily Perkins. Bridget is wearing a fucking wig. Uh, You can tell (laughs) that hair looked all sorts of fucked up. Like, I mean... I don't know if you guys are Arrow fans or not, but for a while there, they had Stephen Amell wearing these wigs that just, they just did not look right. I don't know why we do the wig thing, but whatever. Um, Mimi Rogers, like I said, and I will admit she's somewhat underused in this film, but when she's on screen, man, she's fucking awesome. Uh, on top of the practical effects, the haunting score, the whole autumn aesthetic of the film, the fan in me says this movie is a 9 out of 10 but yeah, critically, if I must be tough on the film, it's about a seven to a seven and a half. So on that note, thank you for listening. 
Thank you for coming back to the podcast. I know I took a month hiatus. And it is what it is, but I, the show is back. I, I said it way back when, you know, I have no intentions of stopping this show. Occasionally, I may take little breaks, you know, just because I got to have the inspiration. I got to have the drive. I got to have the feel for I want to do this show. And that's exactly what I needed. It's back. The fire is here. The fire in me is strong. It's strong like the force in Yoda, Baby Yoda, yes. Um, because everybody loves Baby Yoda. I know Yoda is not his real name, and most of us Star Wars fans were, you know, quick to point that out. But until we have a name for this kid Yoda thing, it's Baby Yoda until otherwise noted. Um, so I'm going to do like, you know, the plugs. I'm going to tell you where you can find the podcast, where you can find me on social media, do all that shit, announce the next show, a lurker's recommendation, and let's get the fuck out of here. How's that sound to you? So where to find the show? Well, obviously you're listening to it. So wherever you found it, you can find it there. But if I must note these things, which I must, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, CastBox, FM player and obviously it's home the next level network uh, the next level network.com slash podcast zero that's where you'll find all 61 episodes up to this point anyways um, you can also go to what lurks behind podcast zero.com I will make mention of this now that may not be around for much longer I am kind of considering getting rid of that part of the podcast just because I really don't use it a whole lot and just with the way my life is, it just seems like I never get time to use that site. And I feel like it's just kind of wasting away. So what lurks behind podcastzero.com may not always be there. Uh, just letting you know now. Um, if you want to email, though, the email is always going to be there at what lurks behind podcastzero at gmail.com. On Facebook, you can find the podcast at facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcastzero. On Instagram, yes, I know I've neglected that too. Like I said, I took a break and I just needed it. Uh, but Instagram will be alive and well again. Uh, you can find it at What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. There's the Twitter account at WLB Podcast underscore zero and the Redbubble store. If you want to, go to redbubble.com slash people slash podcast zero. But if you want to make your life really easy, go on the Facebook page and click on Shop Now, and it'll take you right to the right to the store. Um, Lurker's recommendation. So I have two actually. Uh, it's two music releases that uh, both both albums were released on November 29th. Both are from the Buffalo, New York area, so that's kind of cool. Uh, the first one is the Art of Despair from the band or artist, I should say, Third Realm. Um, you can find uh, all of Third Realm's albums at thirdrealm.bandcamp.com. I happen to be a, uh, a, a, let's say, a social media friend of Nathan Reiner. Nathan Reiner is the brainchild behind Third Realm. And you couldn't ask for a nicer guy, a really down-to-earth, intelligent dude to talk to. And... I, I've known Nathan since back in the days of MySpace. I'm showing my age, but whatever. Uh, I used to follow Third Realm on MySpace. And then through Facebook, he and I just continued to keep in contact and whatnot. We don't talk often, but when we do, it's always a delight. 
He's very intelligent. He's very humbled. He's a he's a down to earth dude, and his music kicks ass. So I wanted to definitely give him a shout out. And my second recommendation is actually from Nathan. Nathan had posted that there was a band from his hometown of Buffalo, New York. Uh, the band is called Optic Oppression, and they just released their album called Halfway to Hell, which is a fucking delight. This is a really good album, and apparently their live shows are amazing too. I can't comment on that yet, but if you want to check them out, you can go to www.opticoppression.com. Uh, I believe they have a Bandcamp uh, page as well. And both albums, I should say, The Art of Despair and Halfway to Hell, are both on Spotify. So if you are a subscriber to Spotify, go check them out. And I'm sure you will enjoy the shit out of it, if, especially if you like like music like by artists like Orgy or Marilyn Manson or Nine Inch Nails. Um, very industrial. Um, yeah, I, I definitely wanted to just give a shout out to both artists and their new albums and so now i'm just going to quickly say the next episode and then we'll close off i'm going to be closing off by the way with a track from uh, an artist that i've and another industrial artist i've always liked sayavia um, we'll be closing with the track voltage but before i do that so next episode next episode is also going to kick off um me talking about Christmas horror films again. I did it last year. Last year I did Christmas Evil, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Black Christmas. This year we're going to start off with a film from 1984 that I admit I am not overly familiar with. Um, I've only seen this movie once and it was way back when I was a teenager. I don't even remember it. got my hands on it so I'm definitely going to be watching it and I want to review it next week. So... The movie from 1984 will be Don't Open Till Christmas. And please don't stop listening to this podcast ever. Not even till Christmas, but ever. No, I'm just kidding. I'm being overdramatic. It's time to close out with the track from Sayavia. Thank you for listening. Thank you for not going anywhere and for sticking around as fans. And until next episode, take it easy, guys. Thank you again. And... Keep it spooky. Ciao for now.